It was the year 1492, and the Butler clan and the Fitzgeralds were having a political feud. They both wanted to make sure that their family member was seated in that very important seat there at the cathedral. And so as they're fighting back and forth, things got violent. And the Butler family, fearing for their lives, ran into the chapter house and locked himself behind a door. Now, finding sanctuary in the church and safety, but now how long would they be here? The Fitzgeralds were adamant about the fact that they wanted peace between the two clans, and they were willing to settle. And so Gerald Fitzgerald, yes, that's his real name, <laughs> says to his, his, one of his men, cut a hole in this door. And so that door right behind me there, the man with his sword cuts this hole in the door, and he says, I'm going to put my hand through, and if they'll take my hand, we'll have peace, and I will chance my arm. And so in faith, he says, I want peace, and I will show it to you by extending my arm, not being able to defend myself. And the butlers, the head of the butler clan grabbed his arm, and there was reconciliation that day. And this door still is in St. Patrick's Cathedral to this day, and you can go up and touch it, look at it, and Europe's crazy. It's like they, they put all their stuff out there. They don't put glass and guards or anything around it. But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of this ministry of reconciliation that Abuna was referring to in Corinthians. This ability to lay down our weapons and actually want the best for someone else. The idea that we would bless and not curse, the idea that Jesus puts forward that we would love our enemies, which was just unheard of in his day. We're going to have an election. And I wish we had a, a reconciliation door. Because after the election, as Christians, we're called to pray for whoever gets elected. Not to complain, not to say curses about them, but actually to bless and not curse. And in some ways, many of us need to learn how to put our arm through the door of reconciliation in speaking blessings on whoever gets elected, whether we agree with them or not. Us, we who are Jesus followers should look different than the world. We should bless and not curse. This is your challenge this week when someone ends up getting elected that you didn't vote for. Will you walk in Christ's likeness? Will you trust the Holy Spirit for self-control? Or will your mouth say things that you wouldn't say about your own mother, about them? Well, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning as we dive into the minor prophets because we're marching through the Bible with this big story, experiencing the whole story of the Bible in this big picture format. We're doing that so that right after the first of the year, we're going to dive into learning how to do inductive Bible study. Our helpers are moving toward the other side, which is great. 
Um, and so a few housekeeping items. You may have gotten a handout for taking notes. You are encouraged to take notes. You are not pressured into it, but it's there. Also, if you're on the stream, there's a digital version, a PDF that you can grab. Uh, but more fun than that, we continue to experiment and enjoy live polling. And so if you've not been a part of this before, you can scan this QR code. You'll also find it on the skinny that you received, or you can see it on the screen there. Now, if you're watching along at home, even live, you may have a little bit of a delay. You can try to do this at home, and you can also download the app, Polling Everywhere, and I have a little login that it'll ask you for so that you can, next time when you pull it up, you can just push on that recent poll. So it's Andrew Birchie, it's A-N-D-R-E-W-B-U-R-C-H-E 959. That's my little code. It's not very fancy, but it's, it is what they gave me. So um, feel free to do that if you'd like to. Uh, we're going to have a few questions along the way, and it is really fun to interact with you. And I'm really excited because I'm learning some new things that after the first of the year, we're going to be able to interact with as we're doing Bible study on the screen. It'll be really great. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it to my partner in crime, Tammy. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning, church family. It's so good to be together. So I am by our bookshelf. So for those of you who've been with us, it's probably getting pretty familiar with you, uh, to you. But this is representing that the Bible is a library. It's actually composed of uh, 66 books, but this is just the Old Testament. And we actually are finishing up the Old Testament today. We're going to be uh, touching the end of the major prophets and going into the minor prophets. We have been talking that the Bible is not organized chronologically, but by genre or type of literature. And there are actually five genres in the Old Testament. I taught you a little chant it is there, there, that shows how many books are in each genre. So it's five, twelve, five, five, twelve. And the five genres are law, history, poetry, you know them, go ahead and say it. You can be interactive. This is good. Major, Major prophets. prophets. And finally, the minor, minor prophets. prophets. Good job. And if you have not memorized that yet, please do, because we are starting the New Testament next week. It'd be great for you to have that. So we almost got through all the major prophets last week. Not quite. So we will review what those were. We have Isaiah. You can say it with me if you want. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Lamentations, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Daniel. We're going to be finishing Daniel today. We talked about the difference is between the major and the minor prophets. It's this length. There's more length to the major prophets than the minor prophets. And we actually have a graphic there on the screen. Not that one, the other one, the brown one. There you go. Just to show, because our, our bookshelf here that we modeled this off of just shows all the same length. They really are different lengths. And as you can see, the major prophets are bigger than the minor prophets. It's not exactly proportional, but it gives you a good idea there. So the 12 minor prophets actually, in ancient days, all fit on one scroll. So they considered all 12 of those, those messages to be one book. And Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are quite large, but all of the 12 minor prophets, if you put them together, they're even smaller than the smallest of those three Isaiah. So quite small. In fact, Jeremiah is our largest prophet book, and Obadiah is our smallest. Obadiah is one page long, so quite a variation in length. Okay, let's read off the 12 minor prophets so we know where we're going today. You can read along with me. Hosea, Hosea Joel, Joel, 
Amos, Amos Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay, and I bet that that's probably the least familiar part of the Bible to you. So if you can memorize them, we're very proud of you. Today we will have discussed 39 books. That's all of our Old Testament. And we will be more than three quarters of the way through the Bible. That's right. Okay, and then timeline. Thank you, timeline people. You're already in place, but you're not going to be up till the end of the service. So I hope you're okay. Hey, if you want to go back, you can come and go. But anyway, at the end, we're going to do a big timeline review of the Old Testament so you can really get that in your head before we move on to the New Testament. But for today, focusing on the prophets. So the prophets are all this one color because even though we have the major prophets and the minor prophets, they're all prophetic books. And this is where it falls in our timeline. The different prophets that we're talking about really fall from about King David's time to the close of the New Testament. So that's about 1000 BC to 400 BC. So about that 600 year period. So you know what we're looking at there. Okay. Thanks, Tammy. So get a little bit of review here. This is probably the area of the Old Testament where you feel a little bit wobbly. I know I have been working on just memorizing those minor prophets again because, well, I have forgotten the order of them. But let me remind you what we talked about last week as far as prophets are concerned. Now, prophets are, they have this, this kind of threefold uh, method. They, they, they call out sin. They go, hey, you're wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. You, and so there, it's a, a kind of like accusation. And generally, it's about worshiping other gods besides God and injustice against other people. Uh, they also say, and you should turn around and do it opposite of what you're doing. So a call to repentance. And they also are announcing God's judgment. Hey, you don't turn around. God's going to judge you. You've got maybe one more chance. We're going to see that later when we look at Jonah. But the idea of the day of the Lord, this time when God is going to judge and all of a sudden the, hour, the sand of the hourglass is going to come to the end and he's got to punish sin. So when we're reading the prophets, it's really good to know three things. Uh, history, where does it fall in the timeline that we looked at and, and who, was, who was the king and what was going on in the world? Um, the audience, are they talking to Judah? Are they talking to Israel? Or are they talking to actually another nation, which we'll look at later? And then also then taking a look at that biblical narrative. Where in in the narrative section, in the history section, is this prophet working and partnering with the king, and what does that look like? And so those are important. The three books that we looked at last week, the three and the twelve, the three are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. We also touched a little bit on Lamentations, that it's kind of more poetry than actually a book of prophecy. It's lamenting over the fall of Jerusalem. And so you could think of it as like a mini psalm book. But now we're going to pick up where we left off last week, and that was with Daniel. The Lamentations is actually associated with Jeremiah. That's why our Protestant Bibles put him there. So Daniel is more of a mixed literature. The first part is a lot of narrative, and that second part is a lot of apocalyptic. And so it really doesn't have the same feel as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Uh, And so sometimes it's considered a little bit of an outlier, not meaning it is any less important, and he definitely is a prophet. But the reason we wanted to bring that up is like when we showed our Bible Project video last week, they talked about this 3 and 12. Andrew even just said that. Sometimes the way they put in their Bible, The Jewish Bible puts the 3 and 12 Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel with the 12 minor prophets and puts Daniel and Lamentations separate in a writing section. 
Not the way our Protestant Bible does it, but we just wanted to make mention of that in case you're watching anything and that gets confusing. So like Ezekiel that we talked about last week, Daniel is a prophet. He is living in exile. And because we said we want to look at history, we want to look at audience, we want to look at what Daniel's time frame is. He was from 620 to 538 BC. So for those of you who've been paying attention to timeline, what happened during that time? A fall of who? Who fell during that time? Judah. Judah. Hey, good job. Okay, but he wasn't there. He was in exile, but yes, so we know that. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. His audience, he's actually speaking to the rulers of the kingdoms that he's in exile under, and he is also speaking to the exiles as, as well. So as a young man, Daniel was taken captive, one of these first waves that was, Judah was, um, there was deportation in different waves, and he was one of those first ones. And so he actually was taken before the fall of Judah. He was taken with his three friends. You probably recognize this name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And while they're in captivity, these four still want to follow the Lord. They want to follow his commands faithfully. And God blesses them with high honor and high ranking in the Babylonian empire because of that. So he does live during the fall of Judah, even though he's in exile. He also sees Babylon's fall to Persia. He sees the Persian king release the Israelites to return back to Jerusalem to go rebuild the temple, although he does not go with them. He stays in exile serving the Persian king. And he is a really good example of a person in exile who settled in without compromising his faith. And this is what Andrew was challenging us to be like, to settle in, to bless our rulers, but to not compromise our faith. So the first six chapters, I talked about that narrative section in Daniel, are, have a lot of stories that you are probably have heard of or a lot of you are familiar with. Things like the fiery furnace, the writing on the wall, the lion's den, that's all in those first six chapters. And then the last six, like I said, has a lot of apocalyptic literature. And so we're going to bring that back at the end of our series when we're discussing Revelation and, and end times. Okay, we're going to poll. So if you have your smartphone, you can pull it out, and you should see this question on your screen. There's an object in the book of Daniel that relates to four important kingdoms. What is it? Is it a fiery furnace? Is it a lion's den? Is it a diet of vegetables without meat? Or is it a statue? Let's go ahead and put in your response. Oh, yeah. We have some responses for, e for all of them, which is totally acceptable because you probably haven't read Daniel recently. 69% of responses said D, a statue, and they would be correct. Tell correct. us about this statue. Why is this important yes. for us to know about? So why don't we even bring this up with the whole big story of the Bible? Well, so for one thing, all of those things are in Daniel, but the statue is, we're bringing it up because God gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. And one of the dreams that he interprets is King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has this dream about this statue. And so there are these four parts to the statue. And um, it's all, Daniel realizes that these are four major world kingdoms, and he's prophesying about them. It has now all become history, so everything that he prophesied has played out. And I'm going to read you the scripture there that you're seeing there. It says, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. 
That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And he ends up by saying it's going to be these four kingdoms. What we know now, these four kingdoms, was Babylon, which was currently the ruling at the time. Then it's Persia, Greece, and Rome. And I think it's important to know the major kingdoms in the Bible story if we're going to understand the Bible. We have a resource online we, on our website. We have a Digging Deeper tab, and the menu item is kingdoms. And I think there are seven important kingdoms you need to know to know the story of the Bible. First and foremost is Israel. It's what the, the story of the Bible is about, right? And then we also have Egypt. We saw that back in Exodus when the Israelites were enslaved down in Egypt. We have Assyria. The, when the divided kingdom, we had Israel's fall to Assyria. And then we have all the rest on the statue, those four, right? We have Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So really encourage you to know those and even to memorize them. And hold on to those last two because we're going to explain how they come into play in the Intertestament period as well as uh, in the New Testament. And as Tammy uses the word like apocalyptic, that means the, th the last things that will happen, the end of the world, if you will. And so Daniel does have a lot of material about the end of things, which we'll talk about at the end of this series. Interesting how that works in association with Revelation. And what's so interesting too about some of these prophets is what they're saying has a present and near present fulfillment. And then it also will have a long time, end of time kind of fulfillment as well. So there are things in Daniel that do apply to the end of time, which we'll get into a different week. Okay, so minor prophets. Now, they are not in the minor leagues, but they're they're, they are, they're, they're a big deal. They, they wrote shorter letters, notes, books, books. Let's call them books. Great. So let's take a look at a timeline real quick. So you can see kind of where they fall on the timeline there. Um, some of these, some of these Prophets actually don't have books. Let's look at a categories, um, a chart that I created. So I like circles. I think circles are helpful. So you have Samuel and Nathan. They're both prophets, but they don't have their own books. They just prophesy and come alongside Saul and David. Then you've got, you've got other ones without books. Nathan, well, Nathan, we talked about him. Elijah and Elisha. You can read about them in the Bible, but they don't have their own books. Then Hosea and Amos. Then speak to Israel. You have a few speaking to other nations, Jonah and Nahum and Obadiah. We'll talk about Jonah in a minute. Judah has Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk. A whole bunch of prophets. Why? Because they last longer. They don't fall as soon as Israel in the north does. And then as Judah is exiled, meaning that they're taken out of their land and spit out of the land and put into Babylon, you have Ezekiel and Daniel who are ministering, like we said, said, not only during the Babylonian time captivity, but also under Persia as well. And then there's a time of restoration where the people are sent back and they're restored. The temple is rebuilt and the Jerusalem is, re is the temple and Jerusalem are both rebuilt and worship 
resumes at the temple, and that's Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So um, these are the prophets. We're going to touch on a few this morning because, well, there's 12 of them, and that would take forever. Tammy? Okay, so as we saw in the major prophets, the minor prophets often have a dual message of both judgment and hope. We're going to see that continue here. They will include some or all of these elements. They will talk about the coming day of the Lord. They will talk, they will be warning the Israelites, and then they're going to be talking about God's judgment on the nations. They also talk a lot about a new Jerusalem. So we wanted to bring that up today. This is a time when God will restore Jerusalem and rule the nations through a Messiah king. We're going to talk about that a lot. You'll probably be um, very thankful to know we are not going to go book by book. <laughs> we actually have a resource on our website, and it's under uh, Books of the Bible. And there's a summary of all 66 books of the Bible on there, a short summary, I should say. So for those of you who would like to know which, what each of the minor prophets are about, that is there for you. But we do want to do some highlights of the Minor Prophets. And Andrew likes to call these the greatest hits. These are the greatest hits of the Minor Prophets. <laughs> so we want to give you at least a taste of, of some of them. So Hosea. Oftentimes in the prophets, the prophets will be comparing Israel to an unfaithful wife. And they are basically calling attention that they have not been keeping up their end of the covenant, right? They have not stayed faithful to God. They've fallen into idolatry, and they're basically cheating on God. And so Hosea takes this metaphor to a whole nother level. God actually calls him to marry a prostitute who leaves him. And so Hosea himself becomes this representation of God, faithful God. And then his wife, Gomer, it becomes a representation of unfaithful Israel. But... Hosea redeems and restores his wife back to him, and it is this picture that God is going to forgive unfaithful Israel and also bring her back one day. And we can relate to that as people that are in relationship with God, and yet we choose our own way, and we find things and put them above God, and in that way we are unfaithful to him as well, and yet he is so kind to take us back. His loving kindness endures for all generations. If you want to watch a little movie about this, I found one from 2012, which actually is on YouTube. You could just pop it up and watch it. Um, or there's, uh, 10 years later, there's a more recent version, uh, Redeeming Love. This is Francine Rivers, if you know of her. She's a writer. Um, and this one's a little more racy. I understand. I didn't watch it. But so just uh, beware. Um, Parental guidance is suggested, but um, there are some good um, media out there to be able to experience yes. these. And Redeeming Love accounts. is based off a book, so her book came first. Let's See move on to Micah. Micah prophesies that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. And so I want to read you the verse that that. So Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So a very specific prophecy in there, even though a small book, a very important one. Zephaniah. So Zephaniah prophesies this destruction of Judah and the surrounding nations. And the first part of the book is super bleak, but the end part of it is very hopeful. And we talked about how there's this theme of this new Jerusalem. 
So Zephaniah looks forward to a time when God is going to restore Jerusalem, where he is going to be that mighty warrior God who saves his people and comes in and rules Israel as the king. And he paints this picture that this new Jerusalem is going to be this place of joy and celebration and peace. And this is a verse you might know, and so I wanted you to know that that is the focus. This is from Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I'm Jonah. I've got a bad attitude. A really bad attitude. If I was your kid, well, you should beat me or I should beat myself. I don't understand obedience at all. You see, it it started there in the first chapter of the book all about me, of course. And the word of the Lord came to me, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Oh, it's about time. You know, the Assyrians, they are so wicked and awful. You know how wicked they are? They impale people on poles. They pull their skin off and put it on the, on the walls of the cities to, to, as psychological warfare. I mean, they, they invented this thing called crucifixion. They're awful. And they deserve judgment. It's about time that God would send someone like me, someone who really knows the truth, someone who is all about justice, for them to finally get what they deserve. And so I was going to go up and preach against it. But then I realized, I know this God. He's kind. He's merciful. He might let them off the hook. And so what did I do? Well, I went the other direction. I was supposed to go, well, east to what you would call Iraq. But I went west into the sea to Tarsus, some 2,500 miles away. I'm trying to get away from this. Why? Because I don't want these people to, to actually repent and for God to be merciful. I want them to get what they deserved. And so I ran away. And as I was running away, well, a storm came up. And the sailors, who are usually horribly foul-mouthed, they all start worshiping God, and they, they ask what's going on, and they're, they're very, very sad that they're going to throw me overboard to try to save themselves. So they, they throw me overboard, and I'm, I'm willing to die by being thrown in the sea, because I don't have a life preserver on, instead of go and chance the fact that these people might actually get God's mercy, and they would be off the hook. And yet, wouldn't you know it, I'm swallowed by a giant fish. I have the first submarine ride in the history of the world, and then I'm barfed up onto the beach. Now, I did some praying while I was in the belly of the whale, but really, like, I wasn't fully repenting, because I really want to see Nineveh, I want to see this evil city get what they deserve. And then, in chapter 3 of the book about me, says, then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, proclaim it to it the message I gave you. And so I obeyed. I went to Nineveh and it was an important city. A, a visit required three days. It was so big to walk through. And on the first day, I started into the city and I proclaimed this five word message. What was five words in Hebrew? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's the whole message. I felt pretty good about the fact that this didn't talk about mercy at all. 
I was just telling him what was going to happen. And, but a strange thing happened. These people believed what I said. They believed God. They declared a fast. And they, they wore clothes of mourning for their sin. And when God saw that they had repented from their evil ways and how what their hearts really looked like, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And I was ticked. So in chapter four in the book about me, I was very displeased and became angry. And I prayed to the Lord, because when you're angry, you pray your best prayers. Oh, Lord, is this not when what I said when I was still at home? I predicted this God. That is what, why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take my life. Just take me now. For it's better for me to die than live. And the Lord replied to me, do you have the right to be angry? And then, well, I sat and watched to see if, well, maybe the city would actually be burned with fire and be judged by God after all, because that's what they, they, they deserved it. And yet, God just asked me a question at the end. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Jonah has a serious attitude problem. I got to take this off to be able to talk about him. Like us, he wants justice, but he doesn't love mercy. Micah 6.8, he's shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Walk humbly, love mercy. And, and Jonah is the outlier of all of the minor prophets. It's the only book where Jonah's really not the writer. It's someone else capturing the scene, capturing his bad attitude for us to see forever. It's a satire. That's why I presented it as such because every other person in the story, including the cows, get it right and he gets it wrong. The prophet of God who should know better has a horrible attitude toward others. He does not desire that none should perish, but all to be saved. And so as we look at our own hearts and the way that I open this message just talking about how we see those who are in opposition to us, those who we would call our enemies. And whether that's a political person who gets elected, a neighbor that we don't get along with, someone, a coworker at, at our workplace that's trying to undermine or undercut or, or take the glory for themselves, an ex-husband or ex-wife. There are many in our life that were tempted to hold offenses and wish them ill and to perish, just like Jonah. But God is calling us to look different. Will you choose into the difficult road of walking toward reconciliation, chancing your arm, and forgiveness? I think that's the real message of Jonah.
that still speaks to our hearts today. And I think it's funny. And there you have it. We'd like to challenge you this week to read Jonah. It's not that long. It's literally, when I, when I opened it up, it's all on those two pages right there. <laughs> really tiny words, but... We have another polling question. It is. All right. Let's, let's have some more fun, shall we? So that should be live now. How many years were there between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Because yes, we're coming to the end of the Old Testament already. Was it zero years? Was it seven years? Was it 400 years? Or was it 586 years? Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people that know this one. I threw a curveball at you. I said 586 years because the temple was destroyed in 586 and Judah fell in 586. But alas, 21% of you are wrong. That is not the right answer. The right answer is 400 years. What's significant about this 400 years, Tammy? So we've seen 400 years somewhere else on, uh, in our story of the Bible. Do you know it? Shout it out. What? Oh, Egypt. I heard Egypt. Egypt. Okay. So yes, that is correct. Another time we saw the 400 years is when the people were enslaved, Israelites were enslaved down in Egypt. Okay. So both of these 400 year periods, significant is that they are waiting for a deliverer. And so we love it when things like we could see the repetition of numbers. A lot of times there's some significance there. During the time that this 400 years between the two Testament, there was no prophetic word from the Lord. And so some refer to this as the 400 years of silence. So it's also called the intertestamental time. You hear it, the intertestament in between the two Testaments. And so Malachi is our last book of the Old Testament. That's in 400 BC. And in it, he calls the people back to the covenants that God had established with them. He is reminding them to be faithful. He urges them to remember the Torah and to keep an eye out for a new prophet that will resemble Elijah. So that is how the Old Testament ends. It really ends like on this cliffhanger. And so I want to read you this verse, these verses here, Malachi 4, 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. So he's reminding them, looking back to that deliverer, Moses, but also looking ahead for this prophet like Elijah. And, spoiler alert, Jesus identifies the prophet like Elijah to be John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Matthew is our first book of the New Testament. Matthew 11, 12 through 14 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. So you have Malachi, that last prophet, 400 years of silence, and John the Baptist on the scene in the New Testament as that next prophet. We want to review... Daniel's statue again. I told you I would be bringing this back. In our timeline and in the history, when we studied that, we saw Babylon in the scene. We know that's what took down that southern kingdom of Judah. We've seen Persia. We know that Persia came along and swallowed up Babylon, and we saw Daniel was serving under them. We know Esther was serving under them. We've seen those two kingdoms. So where did Greece and Rome fall? They fall during this intertestamental time. 
Okay, so it's uh, Greece will take down Persia, and then Rome will take down Greece, and Rome will be on the scene when Jesus enters. And we have our fish slide, just to review with you who was swallowing up who. So we had Babylon, swallowed up by Persia, swallowed up by Greece, swallowed up by Rome. And so to get those kingdoms down is super helpful. We end the Old Testament, the temple is rebuilt, and Israel is restored. Well, sort of, not really, right? They're not this independent nation that they were. They're still under these oppressive kingdoms. And so they are left longing for a deliverer, longing for a Messiah. You'd think that Rome would have some serious indigestion after all of that eating. But Rome has plenty of, of room in its stomach to swallow up more. And so let's do a little review, shall we? This is, we're at this place where we've come 75% of the material in the Bible we will have in our rearview mirror after today. And we'll move to the New Testament last week. So a few, a little bit of fun um, reminders. First of all, the theme of a deliverer. Everybody's looking for a deliverer in the garden. We're looking for a deliverer from this sin problem. Abraham, we're going to choose, choose a person. We need to look for a deliverer. Moses is looked at as a deliverer. The people of God look to prophets, to judges, to kings to deliver them, and everyone fails. They're all waiting for that great deliverer, the Messiah, to come someday. And what is God's plan? Well, he chooses one man, Abraham. And he says, I'm going to choose you. And through you, I'm going to create a family. And then that family is going to become nations. And those nations, your nation, my people, will then bless every other nation in all the world. And so you can read that about that in Romans as well. And that there were four covenants that we're going to see here in the Bible. The first one is uh, between God and Abraham. The second is between God and the nation of Israel, which is the law or the old covenant at that place, Mount Horeb, where to get the Ten Commandments. And then there is also a covenant with King David and said, David, one of, one of your line, one of your descendants is going to be Messiah, to sit on the throne forever and to be this Messiah that everybody's looking for. And then lastly, we're going to see the new covenant starting next week. Man, I'm so excited about finally getting to Jesus next week. Woo! And one more theme, blessing and cursing. Well, I've talked about this already just a little bit. But the concept is found in Deuteronomy 28. And um, Moses, before he dies on Mount Nebo, gives some, gives some uh, what's the word? Some terms of the covenant. Hey, if you fully obey the Lord, he says, all these blessings will come upon you. And he lists all these incredible blessings. But as a people, if you do not obey the Lord your God, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And, and one of them is in verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. In other words, other nations are going to come in and you're going to be spit out of the land. Well, what happens with Israel? That's what happens with as they're taken out and Israel falls, the northern kingdom, as well as Judah in the south also falls. They're spit out and they go into exile. Let me remind you of one more statement we've said several times and we're going to say it again. And that is the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. This is not a jumbled up mess of accounts. It's a, an incredibly God-inspired 
masterpiece of literary wonder that all points to Jesus forward and backwards. And we're going to continue to see that next week as we look at who Jesus is and his coming and specifically look at the Gospels, my very favorite part of the Bible. So without further ado, I think all of the people behind me are ready to build the timeline to remind you of where we've been. Hey, I hope for those of you who have been with us, this is starting to become familiar, but we are going to review these 10 major things that happened during the Old Testament to prepare you now for what's coming next week with the New Testament. So starting here, we have, it starts with the creation, and then we have the apple, you can that represents the fall, and we dated this about 4,000 BC. We talked about how it could have been earlier, but we know if we date exactly how the generations are lined up in the Bible, you can get to the 4,000, and then there's a different theories about when the earth was created. So 4,000 BC. Thank you, Dean. And all the way here to 2100 BC, we have Father Abraham, and then to 1440 BC, now we have Moses. Of course, this is our Ten Commandments. And right afterwards, a generation later at 1400 BC, <laughs> Joshua, the sword because of the conquest, conquers the land. 400 years go by and we have King David. He's 1000 BC. He's halfway through our whole timeline. Our whole timeline has 6,000 years. This is the halfway mark. Okay. 722 BC, we have Israel falls <laughs> to Assyria, if you want to work on your kingdoms. About, about a little less than 150 years later, 586 BC, we have Judah falls. This is our southern kingdom. And when that happens, the temple is destroyed. We talked about how Jeremiah had given a 70-year prophecy that they would be in exile and be able to return. And so in 516 BC, the temple is rebuilt. 70 years from 586 to 516. And then today what we talked about with Malachi, the final prophet, was the closing of the Old Testament. It is done at 400 BC. So we hope that visual helps and that you can really work on getting those down. And then back to our bookcase, this whole timeline has really covered what is in the law and what is in history. So where do those poetry books and where do those prophecy books fit, right? So in the poetry books, God spoke his wisdom through these books. We talked about the wisdom. This is where they fall. This whole timeline is this that we've been acting out, all those major things. So you can see where those books of poetry fall. And then we have a slide that also shows where the prophets fall. And we actually showed that already today. So you can know. Remember that God spoke his messages to the people through the prophets in these books. And so now you know where all of those books on that bookcase fall within the timeline and all the pieces of the Old Testament come together. Great. Thanks, you guys. Good job. So as we close here... A couple challenges. Um, we mentioned several things that, it, you know, if 
If you're just brand new to faith, just remembering some of the very key, simple flow is just fine. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you, it might be time to memorize the books of the Bible and, or memorize these kingdoms or take a look at some of these genres and knowing exactly what's what so that when you study the Bible, you'll be better equipped. We also have charts, like Tammy said, about the kingdoms and the prophets and all of the, the, the little circles and the boxes that I've created on the screen here. Those are also on the website as well to be able to take a look at and think about. Um, and then the, the summary of the books of the Bible as well. Uh, there's a link there for that. Um, as we close, it's so interesting how the Lord gives us opportunities to walk out some of these things that we're studying that happened so many thousands of years ago. This week, there was vandalism to Congregation Beth Israel, the synagogue here in Chico, to their signs, swastikas painted, and um, just absolute horrible hate crime. We are not the only place in the nation that's experiencing that. Um, but it was a great opportunity for us at a very short notice. And, and if you're a part of our text line, you maybe got a text that said, hey, you know, do you want to come out and support? And I know that a number of, of people from our church, as well as uh, five other pastors, showed up um, to their Shabbat service on Friday night to support them. Um, and I know my wife was representing us. I was teaching Focus Living. And whoa, was it a powerful, powerful time. Why was it a powerful time? Well, it was the body of Christ doing the right thing. It was coming into alignment with supporting others in the city and taking a larger role. Um, but there was a sweetness to their service because the response was not like Jonah that this person should get what they deserve. In fact, this man was apprehended and arrested about an hour before Shabbat started. But their posture was one of love. Using Psalms and other readings from the Old Testament, declaring that we will pray blessing and love for this person. This is not what the world looks like. It is what you call coming in the opposite spirit. That if there's hate and anger and destruction coming toward you, you meet it with blessing and honor and a desire to see that person walk into shalom, the fullness of peace and prosperity, of joy and the absence of chaos in their life. And I know you should ask my wife about the experience being over there. The service was lovely. And one of the things that have been on her mind has been for us to have a Shabbat dinner at some point. Uh, Shabbat is Sabbath. Um, and so it would be on a, you know, on a Friday night. That's when Shabbat dinner happens. And this has been on her mind. And she's been talking to me here and there like, Andrew, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. So we had talked about it. We talked to, to a few of our friends who have uh, you know, Jewish roots and things like that, wanting to honor and, and learn about that, have a learning moment. And so she approached Rabbi Lisa and said, Lisa, would you, Rabbi, would you come and help facilitate that at our church? And she said, I would absolutely love to do that. So coming to a church near you, surprise for the calendar, at some point, um, Shabbat dinner with our Jewish friends. But it's so fun. I guess fun. It's fulfilling to be able to walk these things out. And we have, we have choices. You're going to have choices this week, church. 
you're going to have choices on whether you're going to, you're going to have this, you're going to come in the opposite spirit of the world and you're really going to be tempted to enter in with everybody else. I just want to challenge you. Be different. Get used to different. Walk different. If you'd stand, I want to pray for us. Prayer folks, if you'd come down, we've got prayer folks to, here to pray for you. We would love to, um, to just meet any needs that you have in praying for you. And I have one polling question that I'll, that'll activate. And then after you pray or whatever, it'll, it'll be ready for you to be able to um, answer the question. And the question is just this. So far, how, how's it going? How has this series been for you? So in the next hour or so, you can answer that question. It'll, I'll, have it, I'll keep it activated. So Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that by now we're really excited about having a Savior come and save us from all of this, of this sin and death. And uh, thank you, Jesus, Messiah, Savior, reconciled, uh, reconciled one, the one who's reconciling us to the Father. Thank you for your faithfulness and how you make all things new. Thank you that you're calling us into making a difference in our city, to be a light in a dark place. Use us this week. Give us good deeds to do, to love people in our midst. And Jesus, would you be seen in us as we come in the opposite spirit and we love in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for coming, y'all. We'll see you next week with the New Testament.